Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to scintillating, amazing and intriguing characters from across the globe that will help comedians like you and me live this comedic journey on our own terms. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe and give us a five-star view rating on Amazon or iTunes. If you did not like this episode, say nothing. <laughs> now, today's guest is an absolutely wonderful guest. He is a man who, you know, if, you, if your comedy show is a McFlurry, he will turn it into a Gordon Ramsay five-star restaurant pizza. He, it's, it, he is a man that's going to, he gives you unique insights. He gives tartar sauce on your chips of a show and turns it into something incredible. He is a man that's been in the comedy industry for ages. And he's going to have a lot of fascinating, insightful stories and insights that are going to help us produce better comedy shows for the audience. Please welcome John Godilla. Thank you. I expected applause after that. It's that's a very good introduction. <laughs> Not from you. I thought it'd be applause. I should add that in. Actually, that's a good good it's suggestion. Really, it's really it, it merits it. You really feel that there's a there's a moment building. Each... I feel I should I should at least walk into the frame. You know, there should be just do. Is this a video podcast? I no, it's mostly in audio. When the podcast gets a little bit bigger then I'll start maybe putting a bit more videos. But at the moment, I want to I like to when. That's the, that's the thinking oh, we yeah. want, when this podcast gets bigger. Yeah, I'm quite confident in it so far without being <laughs> arrogant. But yeah, I, 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 I've, I get a lot of, um, and it's, it's, I think one of the things that we, when you're confident in something, you've got to look at the results you're getting and what people have been saying about the episodes. And that's what makes me confident about the podcast as a whole. Good. That's as it should be. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and without sort of talking about a lot of things, like how how did you become a comedian, John? What what made you become like, right, I've seen comics telling jokes on stage. I want to be that guy that makes jokes, gets the pretty girl or man or whatever, and then boom. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'd already been in a doubler for quite a few years, and we'd worked on the circuit, so I knew the business yeah and then I just got interested I just was kind of curious to see what it would be like just to be on my own because I didn't know if I really wanted it and I started doing it and I realized oh yeah this is where you do all of the learning obviously working out who you are in front of an audience you can only do that in front of an audience but it was really fascinating and challenging and not easy for me but you know really being funny really finding a character and an edge that is funny and an attitude that carries you through. I don't think I ever achieved that, actually, certainly in a way that satisfied me. I was surprised that what the learning curve was when I started doing it, and I got really fascinated with that and obsessed with it and definitely pursued it in a very single-minded way. You've, 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 you didn't just walk in off the stage of like, why, I'm going to be a comedian. <laughs> no, definitely not. I think one of the reasons why I was quite, quite a good director for people has been that it took me a really long time, even after doing stand-up, to get to the point where you're properly brave, where you're trying to do things, where you're... If I just look back at it, I think I was pursuing quite shallow goals inside it for a long time. 
and <laughs> and, those, and those goals would be about imitation rather than being authentic and trying to figure out what you really thought and how you really felt and what a mess you really were and trying to put that on stage and seeing how funny that is and I think I got closer to that as as time went on but it was quite inhibited for a long time okay so I've got like a dozen questions so I'm gonna have to know it from it but you one of the things that I want to ask you there is so how long did it take for you to find your voice and what was the moment where you found your voice and two what was the moment where you realized that you were it weren't perhaps meeting your personal need and that you were chasing comedy for the wrong for reasons that didn't fit with you it's hard for me to answer that in retrospect because i don't feel i mean i haven't looked back or listened back to my old stuff it just it doesn't quite satisfy me so i don't know that i ever found my voice in certain work i was good and made good shows and i certainly got to a point where i was at ease and my agenda expanded enough for me to be able to feel I could start dipping into things, I guess about, I mean, about 10 years in, but, but yeah, as you can hear from me, I just kind of like, ugh, <laughs> when I think about it and just felt like I was much better at doing other things. Like I still might go back to it. I'm not against it. I just think I'd have to be more evolved or have a different attitude or a different risk you know, in myself to go back to it. And I'm not against doing it. I'm just not into it at the moment. I'm into doing other things where I don't feel I get in my own way and feel I'm more able to be more effective and work more in depth and get better results. Okay. So how many, um, how many years did you do comedy for? And it's, it's, it's quite interesting here from you. Cause like you've been on like t sort of you on that Edinburgh YouTube thing I've seen on TV yeah, yeah. where you went on that show you received lots of accolades in terms of your shows and you've also I think you've been a warm-up comedian as well and you've yeah I've done lots lots of lots of things and and in fact as a performer many years ago I had my own series on cable and despite all those successes you still didn't feel like it was meeting what you personally wanted yeah I don't feel I didn't feel that the output I thought that my shows and my ideas yeah. were better than my ability to deliver them. And I had a freedom when I was working with other people, but when I was working with material that I didn't have to perform. So I wrote stuff and, you know, wrote a film with someone and all of those things just felt like, oh, this is much more, can really get under stuff and do things more in my way. I don't know. It's just, ultimately, it's just a question of where you feel best and where you feel Feel better suited the, where you the feel least you neurotic, I suppose. So, you know, the, the freest. And it's about being free. The problem is, is that I've had a tragedy in my life that's arrested lots of this development. I wrote a film with someone and was going to make it. And I was also producing and directing a couple of other things. And just really feeling, you know, confident and able to kind of go, no, I feel I can really make something that I think I'd like and that would be good. It just isn't a stand-up show, it's a film. And then I had this sort of tragic event happened which is what podcast is all about so that's <laughs> that's obviously had to make me reassess a lot of things but right now um the things that i'm interested in they're stories i'm very very interested in telling they're just very far away from comedy at the moment you know i've made a piece of work in the podcast that obviously is very personal and it's a terribly long piece of work and it's terribly serious um but i'm proud of it i think it's truthful and i think it's a, a good attempt to, to do something that that mixes personal expression with a, an attempt to tell a story because it is processed, it is work. You have thought about it and thought, right, I, 
I'm going to try and present this to people. Because I remember in one of your other interviews, you mentioned something about, what was his name? You mentioned an example of a comedian who was able to turn his big, there's a bit, there was one comedian that transformed his big pain into something remarkable. And you were really fascinated by it in an interview you did with Simon Kane in Ask the Industry podcast. Goodness me, I can't, I can't remember, but that's definitely what I think all comedies about. I think the only, I think the difference between my podcast and comedy, which is what we're here to talk about, is that my podcast doesn't try and hide the pain. It's about the pain, and and so it's really difficult to be funny inside it when you're looking at pain or dealing with the consequences of pain. What's brilliant about comedy is that, you know, good comedy, most comedy, is all about pain and pain that you're trying to avoid or um, or deny or the pain of not getting what you want, pain avoided and desire thwarted. It's all, that's the subject of comedy, how you deal with that. Like all jokes mask that, mask some profound dislocation in the world that it's dealing with and managing and making funny. It's different it's just you know to make something funny you can't look at it in quite the same way but if it's any good it's going to still deal with the same stuff and you said this along with that in the in the other interview that both me and you have watched 10 minutes of people going through their pain and it turned into like a 12 minute or 10 minute long therapy session which everyone feels awkward about yeah, it's got to be funny that like the difference is again i'm not trying to but my podcast is not trying to be funny and so that's very uh you don't have to worry about a whole set of things because that's not the angle but yeah if you're but likewise you unless you're just experimenting and trying to find out who you are as a comic and you have to explore different sides of yourself well okay there's there's a space where sometimes a set will be a therapy session because you're trying to work something out but if that's who you're trying to be it's not going to work because you have to be funny, it has to be light, it has to be silly. And I think that comes down to authenticity, because some of the things that I often see is I see people in comedy, they do things because other people are doing them, or they do things because people they look, admire are doing them. They're not thinking as, does this fit with me, or am I doing it because I want to do it? I, 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 that was absolutely my problem, I think, for years. Um, and... I think that desire to imitate, I think it's useful that, you know, it's how we learn things. But it's all about allowing you to be bolder and allowing you to give you the confidence to really shed all of that nonsense and, you know, be yourself. Be yourself, it's not be yourself, be yourself on stage, which isn't necessarily be the exact self that you are in life. Your persona might be very different than the way you often are, but, it still applies. And do you feel that if you don't do that, if you don't do something that you want to do or that you're following that's with here or here, your mind, your heart and your body and that you feel you're enjoying and it fits with you, that there'll be damages later on that you're not aware? Well, uh, yes, I think, actually. I mean, I don't think that's the only criteria. Just because you're doing it, it makes you feel happy doesn't mean that the audience might not correct you and make you go, no, actually, wait a minute, have you considered that you're funnier when you do this? And so you forge what you do in connection with that. So 
you've got to accept it's not about your self-indulgence. It's and just, that isn't the question you've asked me, but I just want to be absolutely clear. It's not just be yourself and all will be well. My discipline, my audience, my craft is requiring me not, I'm going to have to learn some things and not quite do what I thought it was going to be. But as long as I'm engaged and feel that I can imbue that journey and feel like it's a constructive growth, yeah, you've got to feel happy inside it. I mean, ideally, I would think, I don't know, some people do it and they're absolutely brilliant and they feel terrible about themselves and they hate themselves. I couldn't live with that. That was my problem, but some people can and the, their capacity to live with that, in fact, fuels them to be better because they have that tolerance for it. They enjoy the pain. <laughs> well, whatever works for you, precisely. Like, for example, a question is, well, what happens if you, you know, you want to be authentic, you want to be present in the moment when you work, you want to be alive to it. What happens when you get to the gig or you're about to go on stage and you feel awful, you don't want to be there, but you have to be there. Sometimes you can, I suppose, put a plaster on that and adopt your persona. And ideally, look, man, get over yourself, just enjoy it, you're there. But sometimes you can't get over yourself. Sometimes you're just in that place or you can't figure out how you're gonna do it. You've got to embrace it. You've got to find a way of finding it funny. Somehow that you're in that state. You can't go on there and go, hey, everything's fine. But you can go on there and enjoy saying, I really don't want to be here tonight and make a game of it. As long as you enjoy it, you have to find the thing about it that you enjoy and can enjoy doing. And then, you know, there's some hope. So I've got a few questions that I'd like to ask from that. And B, I know this is quite a complex thing because you work with um, comedians from the bottom to the very top. And I can imagine like in comedians from across the globe and comedians have so many different styles and ways of doing their own thing of reaching the end goal which is making people laugh but what is your you, you said in one of your other interviews what you do is you try and get them to find out what's their weakness what's their voice what's their way of doing things like what's the way of presenting it clearly like you said also that you don't um take charge of their idea you try and like help them find it out. It's like when people are trying to teach you something, they don't tell you to do something, they try and direct you to figure that thing out that they see. Is that what you do? I mean, if you're working on a specific show, that's fine. Then you're working together on a show solution. But when people are trying to figure out how to do it and they're talking to you from that point of view, um, you've got to help them find a way that's sustainable for them because you're not going to be a, you know, limpet. I like, the input to be very focused and very clear and I like them to record the sessions and go away and think about it but and make it their own and see what they accept and see what they reject but it's very much about what the performance process is then that's how you're being that's how you're earning your money that's how you're being helpful not by um making them dependent on you that's you know that's a nightmare uh, for everybody the question about looking at your weaknesses or finding your voice that way you know, why are you on stage? What, what is it that you're carrying? What is your agenda? Why are you there? There's got to be a problem. And there's either a problem with the world or there's a problem with you. And you better at least know what the problems with you are, where you're weak. Because that's funny, because we're all weak and we don't share those things in public. The, 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 the question is, of course, how do you share it? If you share it in a sort of very serious and heavy way, 
then yes, it's therapy. But if you can take the piss out of yourself for it and find out what's funny about you in those situations where you're vulnerable, well, that might help you figure out your character and figure out the things that you can talk about. Because that's why we go and watch things and listen to, we go to comedy to laugh, but what's funny is watching people work through problems, whether it's their personal problems or whether it's the problems of a joke. Like obviously jokes themselves are problems that are solved in weird and lateral ways. The premise is the problem with the world and the punchline is the bizarre lateral solution that makes a new kind of sense of it and triggers us into some kind of laughter. But what's, what's funny about somebody who doesn't have problems? You know, that's when you walk on, when you watch someone on stage, you kind of got to imagine at some level what their grudge or what they're being at odds with the world is. You've got to sense that, I guess, to find them funny. You're kind of a walking problem if you're a stand-up comedian. Do you know what I mean? So I'd, so that's why I would say look at your weaknesses or look at the things where you're vulnerable. And But of course, the tricky thing there is finding a way of separating from it so you can take the piss out of yourself for it. Because... You know, if you're stuck underneath it and wallowing, then you can't make the real jokes. You're kind of still protecting it too much, you're defending it. So you're saying that all comedians are fucked up. <laughs> everybody, I'm saying I'm saying everybody's fucked up. I don't think I don't think comedians have a, a monopoly on it. But I think that um, <laughs> comedians have a, a duty to look at that because that's the material that we all relate to. That I think that's the sort of subconscious reason that we all go to identify, to connect, to, you know, feel life from different yeah. angles. Effectively, comedians explore part of themselves that a lot of people won't show. And it's about letting out that weaknesses or that real thing that fucks up, so get us wound up or whatever, and putting that on stage and being comfortable about that and not giving a shit. And that's... Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what is healing at at the therapeutic level about good stand-up comedy or good any comedy, because you go in and you see that and in a safe way you get to engage with that. And you feel, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, that fella's got things like that. And it's kind of stupid. You know, it's really stupid that people are that petty and that I'm that petty. And and that's useful. You learn from things like that and can carry those things into your life. Even to the point where you go, oh, I remember what that comedian said about this kind of thing. You know, sometimes that happens. Is that we? I think we spoke about this before in the podcast, and Ben actually listened to the podcast, and he mentioned the bit where you said, uh, you know, it's President Abundra character, and you said, uh, "What's in, what's the dictator doing, wandering the open mic circuit or looking for gigs with Jeff Whiting?" And I, yeah, right. And uh, you said. There are parts of it, even if it's a character act, that you have to imagine you're that character and you are playing a character, what the problems are and what the issues are. But is that is one of the reasons why you'd say you're more focused on personal stories and mainstream sort of shows because it's easier to get at the heart of the person than well, doing Yeah, there's, there's, if you're working in an observe, I mean, I don't have a particular preference. I'm, I'm interested in what I can relate to. It is easier in a sense with an observational comedian because ostensibly they're actors about their life. So off you go, what else are you gonna talk about? I think the question say a character like President Abonjo is that you've created this 
you know, a lot of really interesting parameters for that character. And then you've plonked this character from a different world into this world. I mean, stand-up is obviously about breaking the fourth wall. You have to, we have to believe in something on in that stage because we're being spoken to. So there's a lot of fun in that. You know, part of comedy is just take, you know, you just take the piss out of whatever you can and it's all around you. So what could be funnier in my from my perspective than a fallen African dictator as you know having to wrestle with Rick off the curb to get the opening slot at Maidstone it's like what's going on like what watching somebody wrestle with that is really funny yeah and you said in a way you tested the boundaries and you said that there is no rules for it and I think Benjamin mentioned this in one of the podcasts as well part of the fun with this is you know breaking the rules of comedy, reinventing things and doing things your own way. Yeah, because because that's, yeah. Yes, I have nothing to say to that. I agree with you. What would you say are the main attributes of doing a show rather than a straight stand-up set? Because if you go to a comedy store, it's all boom, 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 or it's not as much as a story as perhaps doing a show. And how do you maintain an audience's attention and how many different devices do you need? I think that's a complex question, though, what I've said there. <laughs> and there's loads of answers to it, but well, what happens in an, hour, in, a, in an hour-long story? Well, there's at the very least six or seven, maybe nine, ten things that happen in it, maybe more. So there's, there's turns in a story, and it's the same. It's you break the routine, you change the routine, and that happens over a 20-minute set as well. Um, even if you're staying on one subject, you've got to explore different levels of it and open it out, keep moving it, moving it, uh -huh. moving it. So whatever your genre, whatever style of comedian or act you are, you better have six to 12 things. You better be prepared to generate six to 12 things that are different enough from each other um, to keep our interest, number one. And then number two, do those things make sense, I suppose? Or it's the other way around. You kind of go, well, I want to do this. I'm going to have to create this, 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 and this. And you build the bit from knowing what the shape of the overall thing is. And that's, well, this, this analogy is going to sound a bit iffy, but this is a common analogy for my dad. So I will reword a few things. But he says, with a good movie, you have your up moments, you have your sad moments, and you have your funny moments. And then you have the pretty, the attractive person in there, like the eye candy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's and that's what you're saying that maybe you should view your shows as a movie and try and try and look at the structure of that how you can you because you're anything, taking them on a journey. All, all stories have acts; they have movements. Even jokes have acts. One set of things happen, and here's a turn. A three-minute variety routine on television is based on five or six turns, different bits, riffs that come into it. I mean, those things can be really condensed. A 10-minute set is based on at least two or three turns. A 20-minute set is based on at least two, three, four, five turns. Over an hour, the only different factor is, is there, a, is there an organic development? Because it doesn't have to develop in the sense of here's a literal story, but is there some growth is there enough variety over that hour does it feel like it goes somewhere ideally because comedy shows don't necessarily have to be bound by 
a ruthless A, B, C, D narrative. But even if you're putting together a set that's, you know, not bound by any narrative cohesion, what you're trying to find is what is the quality of this performer or this material that was radiant and intense and you've got to focus. Go on, what's happened? No, uh, uh, someone came in, so I said hello. <laughs> Sorry. What happened? All right. Um, Never mind. Sorry. No. They were calling me, so I didn't, I didn't oh, want to. It's like um, Robert De Niro in King of Comedy, where his mum's calling him upstairs all the time when he's just doing his little recording into the microphone. Did you ever see that film? <laughs> I've not seen it, but now you make me want to see it. <laughs> well, you're the second person in a week that for whatever reason I spoke to about the film who hasn't seen it. You really should see it. It's a brilliant film, and it's brilliant about um, show business, actually. It's one of those great pieces about the politics of show business and people who want to get into it, and what do they do with the opportunity once they're in it. And it's made by Martin Scorsese, and it's very, very brilliant. I mean, Scorsese, he's an, he's an amazing director. So, I mean, just hearing him alone, it must be good. It's wonderful because it, it's a movie he made that isn't even in style that he was making films in that time, because his films are often quite frenetic and elliptical. And, you know, there's a sort of visual busyness to it. And actually, King of Comedy, which is all about people who want to be in television, shot like television and it's really quite composed and it's quite interesting for him to be so restrained but in other ways it's quite wild you've opened some other questions that i'd like to ask because i had a boston comic on the podcast and he spoke about how he built his 45 minute sets and he's very sort of set up punchline doing all that and then one thing that i've I've got Julia Masili who's coming on the podcast and I've got people like I've spoken to Ada Camp and how so for an act that's quite quirky quirky like Candy Gigi do you know her no I don't okay so let's let's look at because you mentioned about this four or five turns in a 20 minute set and then if it's an hour it's like 10 different turns yeah how the turns of like well, a regular... It depends, it, depends, it depends how involved your routines are. But I'm sorry, go ahead. I don't know. There's no fixed number. But bloody hell, at least four or five things better happen in that hour. And, you know, and, and if you're going to only have four or five things, you better bloody do them properly. You know, get, get into them and explore them and find the variety in that, in the depth with which you tackle it. So the thing, basically, the short answer is for an act that's just basically words and straight sort of regular stand-up that you would see, and for an act that's very wacky and weird with magic props and, like, doing all sorts of crazy things, like maybe, um, what's his name, that Canadian comedian, Dr. Brown, how would the, the turns differ in their style? What I am trying to connect with, just got to spend a bit of time really listening and trying to put yourself in the seat of the audience or just be the audience and try and really work out what you're enjoying about this person and whether they've got their most life and excitement and how can you help them do that you're not just a props comic you're not just if there's a point of view there's something else often people's work without being literally so it clusters around themes or there's a sensibility at work there's a certain life perspective and so you try and define that as much as possible without killing it and try to build 
things and places for it to go and to explore it. What what are like two examples of acts that you've worked with that are completely different in their style and that you've seen them keep with their different methods of terms? I'm not saying different rules, but like from an outsider, I'm intrigued to saying what you've observed in these different types of acts and how they turn and keep the audience engaged. Well, I was working with Mandy Mooden a couple of years ago. She was developing a show that was based on her invisibility as a middle-aged woman, but it was essentially built around a series of tricks and a series of observational routines that had a sort of mystical element to them. So there were already naturally those turns, and I just felt we need to find some more that reflect this aspect of it. We did it, we didn't do very much work together, but trying to make tricks or create things that fit her theme was a way of finding turns. That's not answering your question, actually. Your question is, how do you do the turns? And my answer to that is, everybody naturally does the turns. You know when an audience is bored of what you've done or you've, you can't make okay. it any funnier and you've got to do something else. So I guess that's why I'm struggling with the question. I think the genre of comedy is irrelevant. It okay. always comes down to this. There are people who want to put a story together and they know what the story is. And there are people who don't have a story, but they've got bits. One thing I do want to ask you about, and this is something I've only sort of learned recently from having a lot of people on the podcast. And people say that, and this is maybe a bit of a question outside what you're talking about, but what is it with, why do some people choose to, and this is okay, not limiting anyone, but I, I come across quite a lot of comics who say they want to be a circuit comedian or they want to be a festival comedian. But as you said before, there's no limitations to this. Everyone does what finds their own way to doing it. But what have you found the differences, I hope, in working with festival comedians that want to focus on the festival to those that just want to build their 20-minute or 30-minute set? Well, most people who, who are circuit comedians at some point actually dabble or or really go into doing longer work. But the difference, I suppose, in people who are trying to develop a 20, 30 minutes. You see, this is the problem. You put any thought into it and there is no difference. But the, the technical difference, I suppose, is that when you're trying to build the 20 to 30 minute set, you're trying to identify in a very acute way what your character is and what your point of view is. You're trying to really define that. And you're also, really working hard to find your funniest stuff. I mean, you're still doing that over the hour, like there's no excuse not to do that. But I suppose you're asking more basic questions about who your character is and how it's formed. And over the hour, you're looking to explore different scenarios you can put the character in. Because um, I think the big leap is between 10 minutes and 20 minutes psychologically. I think at 20, you've got to have another gear. You've got to have done something secondary with your character over 20 minutes than you have to do in 10. From then on in, you're just kind of riffing and swimming and trying to explore the parameters. Okay. And with certain narrative or attention demands that start to come in around 45, 40, 45. When you've got to 40, 45 and it's not bloody over, well, you better find a way of keeping some interest sustained. But I think that's the big difference, actually. And when you're thinking of 
I listened to your other interview and you said that most top comics don't necessarily need help with being the funny. It's more about being clear on what the show is about and who they are. Mm. Yeah, I think I think most people who come looking to do their first hour or their fifth already have a sense of who they are. That's an easier proposition because you're focused on the result. You focus on the work rather than the the therapy of helping somebody do the work, if that makes sense. That doesn't mean to say that people don't come and say, I've got these really bad habits and I think these things that are working for me actually aren't or are going to get in my way going forward because I can't deepen it or I can't push it anywhere rather. And and I think those people are normally right. The only thing that, one of the things that I want to ask now is <laughs> when you said there's no rules to it and this and that, I, have you seen The Matrix? Yes. And you see that bit where Morpheus fights with Neo and he says, some rules can be bent, some rules can't. You said there's no rules to comedy, but is there some things that... If if my name was uh, MickeyMouse.com and I wanted to ask you to help me build a show and I was a new comic, mm. what things would have you learnt that you could advise to someone? It depends on the person. Again, these, these are all, you say that I say that there are no rules to comedy. There are no more rules to comedy than there are to anything else. There's definite structures and things you can do to help you make jokes. And, and there's ways of breaking down what a joke is. So there are definite rules to how you can go about finding them if you can't instinctively think of jokes about a topic. So, and, and there's rules in a way that are unwritten to social engagement in general that's around being understood and there are I suppose rules in that sense but what do you mean when you say there are no rules I mean, I mean like sort of pointers not rules but little pointers so like one thing that I often see sometimes I had someone on the podcast and they said that when they want to be an actor they asked someone who was a professional in acting what it was like so that they could decide whether acting was for them rather than dive head first and what I'm asking you here is if someone is completely new and they want to start a show, so they don't go into producing an hour show, headstrong, like making mistakes, boom, 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 so they can avoid doing things. Mm. What are little pointers so they don't make... I think the most important thing I could say is that that's what you've just proposed to me isn't realistic. So if you've come here hoping not to make mistakes, that's no, going no, no. to happen. But that's the lesson that you're going to have to really embrace this. The failure, the potential failure of what you're going to do, because that's where the funny is. And in that attitude is where you can take the piss out of yourself. Like there's such strength that comes from being in that position. You know, you've got to find a way of genuinely enjoying it and relishing that ride. So that's the first thing. If you're going to do it with some idea of obligation or duty or some sense that I must do this in order to fit in to some industry expectation, how good is what you're even going to make at the end of it going to be? I don't like how interesting is that show even going to be if you're just trying to do something that fits into that map. I mean, it's boring to me. So rule number one is accept that this show might not be the show where you find what your thing is going to be, but you need to do this show. So how to equip you to enjoy it and explore it and use the pressure of it as, to your advantage. Hmm rather than be overwhelmed by it, which I sometimes see by a it lot is overwhelming. of people around it is, 
there's nothing wrong with accepting the fact that it can be quite overwhelming provided you're able not to mind <laughs> yet you're not alone it's not overwhelming because of you it's just overwhelming and everybody experiences that and managing that is the difficulty of course it's the trick of life for all of us it's not a comedy question it's a life question but it really applies in comedy because so much of it is how you manage things is so intrinsically linked to the stuff you write about the things you talk about who you are as a person how much fun you can have in the middle of what will likely be heavy failure and that's the point okay <clears throat> now one of the things that I want to get over here is that you mentioned an interesting yeah one thing you mentioned that was an interesting point and this is probably a comedy secret for anyone that doesn't get no comedy I see a lot of comics when they do it talking about different things they always make it present tense to have more of an effect and you said that it, it can if they're going to talk about the past like 50 years ago i met this woman wish bosh done you've got to um like you mentioned that they they have to make it present how do they do that well i think i think it goes back to what we were speaking about a while ago which is it's about the working through of problems a way of looking at performing comedy is that your character is working through problems so that gives it an immediacy and a funniness and an edge and an unpredictability if you're talking on stage you know 50 years ago i met my first love and blah 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 and whatever the question that i ask in the audience is why are you talking about that what are the stakes so if you're standing on stage telling me I'm an emotional disaster. I can't make any sense of my life. This started when I was five. Then there's a reason to go back to when you were five or when you were 15 or whatever. Emotionally, that makes sense because the thing you're talking about in the past instantly becomes more immediate, more interesting. Sometimes, and this is really uh, uh, happens really with the very newest of comedians because they're trying to work out what to talk about. And they, they do that kind of, I'll tell you a bit about myself comedy. So they go through a sort of, potted biography or they plan to do a biography of their life sometimes you see that and I was born here this happened to me as a child this happened then I went to here da, 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 da. obviously they never survived more than two or three outings on stage because nobody cares and the reason nobody cares is because why what does it mean what have you told us about you and why it matters to you who are you why should I be interested in a chronology of your life what's the problem what's the beef how are you a fuck up what can't you stand? What don't you understand? What's bothering you? What gives you the impetus, the reason to speak? Hmm. Um, and, it, you know, that makes it sound like, oh, the comic's got to be really wound up. We'll have a problem. So, no, no, no. The comic can be silly and light and bouncing around. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be any, it doesn't have to have any implication for the kind of comedy you do. But what's up? <laughs> Who are you now? What's funny about you bouncing around this space inappropriately if you're not a serious comedian? What's wrong with you? What, how am I engaged? That, that's the only question that matters. It's, I think it's been, I think a lot of people are going to gain a lot in terms of building their show. 
when Edinburgh hopefully returns to its full level next year. <laughs> mm. Or and it's been it's been a lot of fun, John. It's nice to talk to you, Marvin. Thank you very much. Thank <music> you.